talking about habits, and one of the things that, that I like about that intro is it one small habit can then transfer all the way down, and eventually it, it can knock something huge over. Uh, in 2006, so 15 years ago, Duke University did a study, and here's what they found out. 40% of the actions you take in any given day are not conscious decisions you make. They are habits. For example, you ever been driving around the loop and ended up someplace you didn't intend to go just because you always go that way? I can't tell you how many times I, drive, I come out of Longhorn, um, I come off of Range Road, I turn right, and before I know it, I'll be sitting in the parking lot out here at the church and I should have gone to Walmart, you know, something like that, because I'm just, it's a habit. Even Siri knows my habits. I get in my truck and she says, 11 minutes to work, or when I get in my truck today, and after church, it'll say 11 minutes to get home. One time it said 17 minutes to get home, and I go, no, no, it's not. There's no way it's going to take me 17 minutes to get home. Anyway, you are a creature of habit. 40% of the things you do each day, just habitually you do those things. Now, last week we discovered that most of us have similar goals in life. Winners and losers have similar goals. They both wanted to win, but not everybody can win. Successful people, unsuccessful people all have similar goals, but not everybody has similar outcomes. Why? We discovered this last week. Because you never rise to the level of your goals. You always sink to the level, level of your habits. Today, we're going to look a little closer at Daniel's life, and we're going to see some of the habits that he had. Now, let me, let me tell you about the backstory. So Daniel was one of the people in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was destroyed by Babylon. God said it was going to happen. He said it repeatedly, sent all kinds of prophets. They ignored him, and finally, God sent the Babylonians. They destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, took the best and the brightest to Babylon. Daniel was one of those people that went to Babylon. While he's in Babylon, he rises to power because God's hand was upon him. And while he's in Babylon, he reads a letter that Jeremiah, the prophet, wrote. And Jeremiah says, We're gonna, you're going to be in, in Israel for 70 years, I mean, in, in Babylon for 70 years, and then a king named Cyrus is going to let you go rebuild the temple and rebuild Jerusalem. So Daniel believed that, but he spent his entire life in captivity in Babylon, but because God's hand was upon him, he rose up in the ranks. Now, what's happening at this point in Daniel chapter 6 is Babylon has been destroyed by the Persians. There's a new king in town, and the new king wants to make sure that his new kingdom is organized. So what he does is he, he organizes all of Babylon into 120 counties or provinces, and he, he puts a, a governor over each one of those provinces, and then above those 120 people that are going to report back to him, he has three administrators. They're the best of the best, and then Daniel actually rises up to be better than them. Now, here's the interesting thing. By this point, Daniel's 80 years old. He's lived, and he's served many kings with distinction. And, and at this point, this new king hears about Daniel and he says, whatever you do, use this guy. And so this new, new king puts Daniel in charge and look what happens in Daniel chapter six, starting in verse three. Daniel soon proved himself and it shouldn't surprise anyone because he'd been proving himself for over 80 years. He proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability given to him by God, he was gifted by God when he was a teenager. The very first king, Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, saw that he was gifted more than others and put him in, in, a, in a leadership role. Because of Daniel's great ability given to him by God, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in, that, in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they could not find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely what? Trustworthy. So they concluded, 
Our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules or habits of his religion. So they're like, if we can't tempt him to do something illegal, then what we have to do is make his religion illegal. That's kind of eerie, but anyway, we'll, we won't go there. This guy is so into his God that if we want to find something to fault him on, we're going to have to make his religion illegal. We'll have to trip him up in some way with his religious habits. Now, they didn't really trick Daniel because if you are on your face before God regularly, nobody's going to trick you with what they do. They didn't trick him, but they tricked the king because they flattered him. They said, oh, king, live forever. So this king wants to unite this new country that he's conquered. And, and they say, king, you're, we want you to live forever. We want you to be successful. So we, we suggest a new law. Now, all of these governors and, and, and all of these administrators except Daniel come into the king, and they flatter him. We love you. We want you to succeed. Oh, you're a great king. We have a great idea. This is how you can unite this new kingdom. Let's make a new law. That for 30 days, no one can pray to any other God. Now, this is a lowercase g, not the one only God. Nobody can pray to any other God because you're a God, Darius. No one can pray to anyone but you. And flattery, I read this in, my, in one of the commentaries, flattery is manipulation. It's not communication. And the whole reason they were flattering him was to try to manipulate him. And it worked because look what happens. So King Darius signed the law. That's a great idea. He signed the law. Now, if you were a God follower, this is before Jesus, so you couldn't be a Christ follower at this time. If you were a God follower, or if you're any religious follower, and you're supposed to pray to another God, you should look at this and go, oh, no, my life is over. Really? Is that how you should respond? What was it that caused Daniel to be so, to stand out in the first place? His faith, his dedication to God. We can't trip him up in anything. We have to make his religion illegal. And when you have this type of habit where you seek the living God and it's ingrained in your life, then you seek the living God no matter what happens, no matter if there's a worldwide pandemic, no matter if there's a war, no matter if your guy gets elected or the other guy gets elected. Your marriage is good or it sucks. Your kid is obedient or they're rebellious. It does not matter if it's a habit you seek the living God. When you fear God, this is what Daniel discovered. When you fear God, you don't have to fear anything else or anyone else. In this instance, it was a matter of life and death. And I want you to notice how Daniel responded. Verse 10. But when Daniel learned that, that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down. What are these two words? As usual. It didn't matter that a law said you can't pray to anyone but the king. He did the same thing he'd always done, as usual, in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. I told you this. Why towards Jerusalem? Because he had discovered in, in Jeremiah's letter that God was going to restore Jerusalem. And so this 80-year-old man who'd lived all of his life in captivity believed in God. And he said, God, I'm going to open towards Jerusalem because your favor is going to be on that place. One of the commentators said, every one of us prays either towards Jerusalem or towards Babylon. There's no other option. And if you're not seeking the living God, you are seeking some other God, even if it's yourself. With his windows open towards Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done in the past and just as he would do as long as he had breath, giving thanks to his God. Now, did he thank his God for the law? Oh, God, I thank you for this stupid law. No. 
I thank you, God, that you're in charge regardless of what the king says. I thank you that you're in charge regardless of who the president is. You are God, and I will follow you all the days of my life. Horrible life or death news comes to Daniel. What does he do? What he's always done. He got on his knees and he prayed to God three times a day, not when it's convenient, not when it was popular, easy, not when he had nothing better to do every day. And here's what I want you to understand from that. His ability to stand up to evil depended entirely. Go ahead, that's the next one. His ability to stand up to evil depended entirely upon his habit of kneeling down before God. Your ability to stand up to evil depends on the amount of time you spend before God. That's why you're afraid. That's why you're defeated. Because let's be honest, we've been talking about this for several weeks. Most of you will not even dedicate 1% of your time to God every day. That's why you're defeated. When I was studying this, the Lord just kept bringing two words to my mind. I put this is, this is the next thing if you're following along on your listening guide or if you have the app. Keith always puts it on there. Daniel was found faithful. Two words. I just kept thinking, found faithful, found faithful. By whom? He was found faithful by God and by his enemies. My question to you is, will you be found faithful? Not to your political agenda. That's quite obvious from some of the Facebook posts that I see. Not to your job, not to your dog. Not anything wrong with posting your dog. Some of you are more dedicated to your dog than you are to your God. Will you be found faithful by God and by your enemies, the enemies of God? And this is why this is important, because nobody stumbles into intimacy with God. It's a choice. It's a habit. It is reserved for those who are found faithful. And as I was thinking those words, I thought, Lord, there's a verse. There's a verse where it says you need to be found faithful. So I looked it up, and here it is. 1 Corinthians 4, 2. It is required. What is that word? Required. It is what? It's not optional. It's not a suggestion. It is required of stewards that they be what? Are y'all asleep? Dead? What? It is required that they be found what? Thank you. There are people. There are people in the room. I'm not pretending. We had cardboard faces at one time, but we don't have them anymore. They're here. You heard them during worship. Now you heard them during during the sermon. Woohoo! We we're alive. If someone were, so, so a steward is, is someone who is supposed to manage something else for someone else. Did you know every breath you've been given is a gift from God? It is not your life. It is something that God has given you. And you're a steward of your life. You're a steward of everything God has given you. If someone were to look at your finances, would they say, oh, you're faithful. You've been found faithful with your finances before God. I started tithing when I was 19 years old, when I was making um, $100 a month. And then I remember when I got up to $100 a week, and I was like, woo! But then if you, if you tithe off of that, that's 40 bucks. That's, so I brought home $160 a month. Guess how much my rent was? $160 a month. <laughs> I didn't have much. Praise God we had a free, well, we had a dollar movie. On, if, you, if you wanted to cheap date, you, I could, you could walk to the, to the student union building and pay a buck for a dollar. I was like, yes. Can we go out to eat? No. You better hope they got popcorn for free. For 37 years, I've tithed. 
I told you, I don't remember when it was, but I want to I I be found faithful for a long time. I want to be, I want to have long obedience in the same direction. I started um, reading my Bible daily when I was, actually when I was in college, but I would read it at night and I'd fall asleep, right? So I'd have the Word of God there, wake up and I'm slobbering on my Bible because to me that was just a dumb time to read. Now, if you want to do that, fine, but I, I fall asleep. I fall asleep in my recliner. If I'm in my bed with my Bible, I'm, I'm, I'm snoring. So I decided when I got out of college, I decided I was going to read the Bible every day, and I, and I got a devotion on that. This isn't my first one. I can't find my first one. It was by Chuck Swindoll. It was a paperback, and I think I know where it is. It's in a box. But this one I have on my shelf, and, and this one, the intro, is by Billy Graham, and Billy Graham said this is a best of Chuck Swindoll. He was a pastor. He said, you know, Billy says, you know how they, they make albums and they have the best of, the best of, of foreigner, I don't know, I'm just, the, you tell, this shows how old I am, sticks, um, <laughs> air supply. Uh, he said, this is the best of for Chuck Swindoll, and, and man, I, I devoured this, but it took me like 10 minutes in the morning, and so I would read one of these, and there were some verses, and had some stuff in here, and I'd write it down, and then I had one piece of paper, and I would just write the people that I was praying for. I was a youth minister at the time, and I'd write the people I was praying for, and I was single at the time. God, I don't know where my wife is, but would you show me? You know, sometimes those were desperate prayers, but I've been doing that for 32 years. Now, Quite honestly, I don't do this anymore. I, I, I spend a lot more time than 10 minutes a day with the Lord, but it grew over time. And, and the more I was faithful to it, the more he gave me a hunger for his word. I want to be found faithful, whether I die this year or whether I die like my daddy when he was 91 years old. I want to be found faithful reading the word of God every day. I want to be found faithful to God, my family, and this church in that order. If I ever have to make a choice, between my family and this church, I will choose my family every time because I believe that's of God. I want to be found faithful to worshiping. If I'm not here on a Sunday, I'm either watching this service or I'm in another church because with me, there, there is no choice. You're going to be in a service. The Sunday, according to the Christ followers from 2,000 years ago, Sunday is the Lord's day. It's not my day. It's the Lord's day, so I want to be found faithful worshiping the Lord. I want to be found faithful praying every night with my wife. Everybody knows this. If you've come to my house, uh, Donna was at our house last night. Katie, her first name's Donna. Donna Catherine. Katie was at our house last night, but Katie's been to our house enough times to know that no matter what, when Daddy goes to bed, so I go to bed early. Janie stays up later. I go to bed. The last thing that happens before I go to bed is Janie walks in with me. We close the door. We pray. Whatever Janie's doing with the rest of the family, they know Janie's going to pray with dad. So she's talking on the phone. Hey, dad's going to bed. I got to call you back. And we go in and we pray because I want to be found faithful praying with my wife every day for as long as he leaves us together. What was it that set Daniel apart? He was found faithful three times a day. He stopped everything to have intimate fellowship with his God just as he had done before. So here's my question to you. Based on who you want to become, what do you need to start doing today? Or if we talk about that, what do you need to be found faithful doing day after day to get you closer to God? You already have habits. The question is, are your habits taking you closer to God or are they taking you farther away from God? If not, if they're not taking you towards God, draw a line in the sand and say, today I'm going to start a new habit, a small habit. And here's, here's my two points about making a habit. First is make it obvious. Second is make it easy. <laughs> 
So like if you've never read your Bible before, what I do, if I know something has to leave the house with me to get it here to church, I put it on top of my Bible, I mean on top of my keys, or I put it in my billfold, something that I'm going to carry with me. If you, if you don't have a habit of reading the Bible, put your Bible on top of whatever you have to have to walk out the door. Get up a few minutes early and read. And start easy. Don't start with hours a day. You'll, you'll soon, you'll end that before you even get started. Start easy. Even if it's just one, one verse a day. You can get the Bible app, Version Bible app, and it keeps a streak. So, you know, all I do on the Bible app nowadays, I used to read the devotionals. The reason I don't anymore is because I can't, honestly, I got tired after seven days of finding a new devotional. I want to know what I'm reading for the next several months. And so I have a notebook, and it's, it's 100 days worth of my uh, daily devotional. But if you just read the verse of the day, it'll send it to you, a reminder. I have a streak of 127 days this morning of reading one verse off the YouVersion Bible app. It keeps your streak. Make it simple. Make it easy. Because here's the thing. If you read one verse a day for the next 27 days, I believe God's going to awaken in you a desire to read two verses. And if you do that for a month, you're going to want to read three verses. And there's going to be a cap on it. You're not going to read 75,000 verses in a day. But God's going to awaken hunger in you if you're found faithful to do that. Start small, start today. So you say it like this. I will do blank after blank, or I will blank. So everybody knows I put the dogs in the kennel, and I start walking towards my bedroom. I'm going to pray with my wife. I don't care what you're doing. I'm going to bed. I'm old. I'm the oldest one in the house, setting my ways. I'm going to bed. You play all you want to. I'm praying with my wife. You can have her back when I'm done praying. You make a statement. I'm going to do this after I do this, after I wake up, whatever it is. We don't have a goal problem. We have habit problems. What set Daniel apart? His habit of spending time with God every day. How many times each day? Three times. He was found faithful in small things that allowed him to be successful in larger things. If you're faithful to God today, listen to me. If you're faithful to God this Lord's day, your day is a success no matter what else happens. No matter whether you're happy or sad, if you're faithful to God today, you're a success. We want to do that day after day after day. That's the positive side. Now we're going to look at the negative side. How many of you know people who have a negative, a list of negative goals? Let me give you an example. Put the first one up there, Nate. How many of you, your friends and family, want to be bitter? I mean, I'm not saying they are, because some of them probably are, and you're like, ah, I don't want, I got to hang out with them again. They're so bitter. But nobody, when they're in high school, goes, I want to be a bitter old man. That's my goal. That's my aim. Next one. How many of you want to be divorced twice by, your, by the time you're 25? I'm not making this up. At my 10-year at my reunion, that means we would have been eight, uh, 28 years old. There were two different girls. They didn't come. There were two different girls who had been divorced five times by the time we were 28. Do you think they had that goal when we were in high school? No. What about this one? I want to be so in debt that my children's children can't get out from under it. That would make me happy. It'd make my children's children happy too, right? Nobody? Okay, next one. I want to be lonely every day because I push people away with my selfish behavior. Anyone? Okay, next. I want to be a raging addict. Okay? I want to be a raging lunatic. Whether you are or not, did you set out? Was that your goal? Okay. I want to be in a dead-end job. 
I've never heard those on somebody's top 10 list at the first of the year. How do those things happen? One decision at a time. One bad decision at a time. How do bad habits happen? One bad decision at a time. We're going to look briefly at the life of Samson. Now, i got a question for you. If you know anything about Samson and his life, does anyone ever say anything positive about Samson? No, the only thing is he was strong, not in morals, not in wisdom, not in choices. He's just physically strong. He probably looked good. But nobody ever talks about that. No one ever says something good about Samson. No one ever says something bad about Daniel. That's the positive side because his habits led him towards God. We're about to see Samson's habits lead him away from God. He dies blind, alone, chained to the pillars of a temple of a pagan god, being made fun of by the people who worship that pagan god. There's a life goal. You're about to see it didn't happen by accident. It was entirely on purpose. We're going to pick up the story in Judges chapter 14, verse 1. Now, you can read the backstory. This is, you should read the backstory, but here's, here's what happened. Samson went what direction? Down. He did not go up to the tabernacle to worship. He went down to Timnah, and there what happens? He did what? He saw a young Philistine woman. What direction did he go? Down. He went down to the enemies of God's people, literally, Quite literally, he was from the hill country. He went down to Timnah. And as he hung around and looked around, you know what he was looking for? He was young, strong, and handsome. What was he looking for? A girl. He found one. He goes back home and he says, get her for me. I want to marry her. And his parents are good, godly people. And they said, no, we're not supposed to do this. Isn't there one from the Israelites? And he's like, no, go get her for me. Read the story. It's all kinds of stupidity on Samson's part for a girl that he should never have seen in the first place. But he went down, he hung around, he looked around, he saw, and he got in trouble for that. God had told the Israelites, do not intermarry with other, uh, other uh, nations, not because of skin color, because they worshiped a different God. The only reason he said to, to marry just Israelites was because of the God situation. Now, Timnah was about four miles down the hill from where he grew up in, in Zora. If Samson was about six feet tall, then the average stride would have taken him 8,380 steps to walk from Zora down to Timnah. He had 8,380 opportunities to say, maybe I shouldn't be going this way. Maybe I should turn around and go back to the tabernacle. Because, see, to go down where you're not supposed to be, you have to ignore God, God's word, and God's messengers. He ignored it all. And it cost him dearly, and a habit was being formed. Nothing good comes from ignoring the wisdom of God and God's messengers. We know a habit was formed because two chapters later, look what happens in Judges 16.1. Now Samson went, we could add the word down because literally it was down. Now Samson went down to Gaza. Does anybody think this is going to end good if you know that Samson ruins his life? No. Down to Gaza, which was also enemy territory, and he saw a prostitute there and he had relations with her. Does anybody think that was a good idea? That he should wake up and go, hmm, today I think I'll go find a prostitute in enemy territory. 
He went down to a place he should not have been. What happened? He saw something or saw someone he should not have seen. Once his attention was captured, you see this all the time, his body followed. (laughs) Oh, she looks good. Yeah, but she's stupid. She's forbidden. Oh. I used to tell teenagers, these teenage boys would come to my youth group. I just stopped one time in the middle of a Bible study and said, you're like dogs in heat. If I had a water hose right now, I would hose you down. You're not here for God. You're here for the girls. Now, I don't blame you for coming to church for girls. but And I was telling the girls, don't follow those guys. They didn't listen. Gaza was about 25 miles from Zora, his hometown. He is in such a habit of going wrong places that he goes three times as far. 52,375 steps down the wrong path, down into the valley to where the enemies of God worshiped everyone but God. When he finally gets to the end, when he gets to the bottom, some of y'all know what it means to get to the bottom. When he gets to the bottom, the end of that path, he would have given anything if he could go back and choose a different path. So based on who you want to become, not only what do you want to start, what do you need to stop? There's something you need to stop doing. There's a path you're on that's leading to destruction. And some of you are like, well, I have 28 bad habits. Well, choose one. If you choose 28, you're not going to stop any of them. Choose one today. And some of you say, well, how do we know which one to choose? Here's, Here's a little hint. If everyone who loves you says you have a problem... You got a problem. Start with that one. See, this, this is why this is so difficult. Let me, let me just give this to you. We're almost done. Good habits are hard to start. Go ahead and put that up there, Nate. Good habits are hard to start because you're going up a mountain. And you don't see the reward till later. I don't know how many of you have climbed a mountain. I've climbed lots of mountains. Going up the mountain, there is nothing fun about going up the mountain. When I was in Peru four years ago, there was nothing fun. I was breathing hard. I was sweating. I was thinking, I'm going to die in Peru, and Janie's going to be so mad at me. (laughs) But when we got to the top and we turned around, magnificent. And we all said it was worth it. We came down into Machu Picchu. It was just spectacular. But going up that mountain was hard. And you don't see the reward till later. Here's the other part. Bad habits are so easy to start because you're going down. You're usually going down someplace you shouldn't be. And they promise this immediate reward. But the cost later, oh, my goodness. How do you stop a bad habit? Well, you make it difficult. Make it difficult to do. Here's what Proverbs 4.14 says. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of the evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way. So four different ways that you're, first of all, don't take one step. Go the other way. Turn from it. Get out of there. So if your weakness is donuts, don't go to worship at the donut palace. How stupid is that? I'm just looking. No, you're not. Donut look. Donut smell. <laughs> Avoid them. Turn from them. Go a different way. I love, okay, so I give Casey a hard time because he, he, he loves the King James Version. 
But I actually found the King James Version that I wanted to share with you today. This is Proverbs 14, 15. Avoid it. Pass not by it, you must. Sorry, I just think of Yoda when I read the King James. Turn from it, you must. And pass away. This is why I put this on there. Now, this is not what it means, but when I read that, I thought, King James is saying, die if you must, but don't go to the donut palace. <laughs> so, so let's get very, very practical. There are some triggers that, that make it easier for you to do something wrong. And let's look at those five triggers that can lead us in the wrong direction. Place, time, mood, moment, people. Place, time, mood, moment, people. One more time. Place, time, mood, moment, or people. Now, if you've lived any amount of time, you know this. There are times, there are places that you are more susceptible to do something wrong, and you know that. And putting yourself in that time, in that place, lowers your resistance to doing bad things. But, but isn't it true there's also places and times that you don't do those things? You probably don't overeat at the gym. Never seen that one. If you're exercising, you probably aren't overspending on Amazon. You probably don't smoke pot at church. However, in this crowd, there might be someone. So you got a problem. We need to talk. I want you to notice there's a time and place where King David, the greatest king in the history of Israel, put himself in a position to fail. 2 Samuel 11.1, 1, in the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war. Where do kings normally go? Out to war. David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. Now, this is kind of funny because they're like wintertime, you know, like, like last weekend. What, no, two weekends ago when it's snowing seven inches. Would that have been a great time to be a warrior? Hey, let's go. No. So they were like, hey, it's cold. It's wet, whatever. Let's not go to war at that time. Let's wait till the springtime. When the flowers are blooming, that's the time to go kill people. So they said, let's do that. At the time that kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, what did David do? He stayed behind in Jerusalem. When he wasn't where he was supposed to be leading his army, he ended up at the wrong time going up on the rooftop, and it happened to be his neighbor's bath time. Now, the king's house, his, his residence, was always the tallest one around. Maybe he knew this. Maybe he'd spotted her before. We don't know. But he goes up, and he looks around. He notices someone he shouldn't notice. Wrong time, wrong place led him to see something he shouldn't have seen, led him to do something he shouldn't have done, which ended up costing him more than he ever wanted to pay. Bathsheba gets pregnant. How's he going to cover that up? He tries to cover it up. For months, he tries to cover it up. doesn't work. So finally, he has her husband killed. And then God confronts him through the prophet Nathan. Nathan comes up and tells him this story. And he says, hey, there were these two men. One was rich and one was poor. And, and some friends came to the rich man, and he was going to provide him a meal. But he didn't take from all of the flock. He went to the poor man, took the only lamb he ever had, killed it, and he offered it to him. And David gets enraged, and he said, that man should die. And Nathan says, you are that man. And don't you know, all of the blood drained from, from David's face. And I, I think he wanted to vomit. You ever been caught? David was caught. And then God says to him through the prophet Nathan, he says, therefore the sword will never depart from your house. You'll never be a man of peace again. And look why, because you despised me. When you habitually sin." If you call yourself a Christ follower, if Jesus has paid for your sins 
and you habitually sin, you despise the cross of Christ. You spit in his face. And don't you think you'll get away with it? The Bible says, be very sure your sin will always find you out. God says, you despise me. You took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. He says, okay, you're going to live, David. The baby's going to die, and the baby died. He said, but everybody's going to know what you've done, and the price was so high, David's, David would have said, I'd, go, I'd give anything to go to war instead of hanging out on the rooftop, being a peeping Tom. David should have gone through Celebrate Recovery. If he had, he would know this acronym, the acronym HALT. Y'all heard this? Anybody heard it? Somebody tell me what this stands for. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Now, why do they use this? They know they're taught, whether it's a, you know, an AA, NA, or CR, you're taught this acronym because when, when you are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, you're more susceptible to do self-destructive things, do something dumb. If you pay attention to these factors, you can avoid a lot of mistakes. For example, how many of you have ever been hangry? Hungry and angry. How many of you are married to somebody who's hangry? And you may not want to raise your hands because we're before lunch right now. And they may be hangry right now. Or you're, you have somebody in your house. It is a very real condition. That's why the Snickers commercial is so popular. You're a diva. Eat the Snickers. Shut up. That's a real condition. Loneliness or boredom. I tell people this all the time. Loneliness or boredom can cause you to do stupid things. And I think that David was lonely and bored because he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. So, hey, I'll go up and I'll surf the Internet. And I'll find a girl who's not my wife, who's married to someone else. I'll go down to a place I shouldn't go. I'm just looking. There's no harm. Hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes... Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Sometimes. If you take a nap every Sunday morning, you got issues, right? Oh, I can't go to church. I can't go to Bible study because I'm so tired. That was your excuse for 362 weeks. If I'm in that place and I'm in that time, in that mood, then I'm more vulnerable. I need to remove the trigger and get myself out of danger. Because you know, everybody acknowledges this, right? There are certain times, there are certain places you're more susceptible to sin. If you don't recognize your triggers, you're going to be triggered over and over. Let me give you an example. You get in a fight with your husband. You call the same three girlfriends. You have a husband bashing party. Why? It's what you did the last time you had a fight with your husband. It's what you did the time. It's what you always do when you have a fight with your husband. Or you go to the game with the guys and you drink too much. Why? Because you did it last time. You did it the time before that. You did it this time. You're planning on doing it next time. You pass your test in school, so you smoke pot to celebrate. Or you flunk your test in school and you smoke pot to celebrate. Or you just skip the test and smoke pot to celebrate. You got a pot problem, right? No matter the time or place. The last trigger... The last trigger may upset some of you. People. If you were to talk to most people in jail, and I've done this many times, there's four words. I had these friends. Every story. Had these friends. We went where we shouldn't have gone. We did some things we shouldn't have done. Now I'm here. And and you want to know the interesting thing? I've never seen the friends who got them in trouble come visit them in jail. Had these people who weren't really my friends, who led me places I shouldn't have gone, 
Our, impact, our friends impact us for good or bad. One study I read about tw- attracts 12,000 people over a 32-year period. So three decades, 12,000 people. Two things from this study, you know, you don't have to hear the whole study. Two things stuck out. Here's, here's the first one. If you have one friend who is significantly overweight, there's a 57% chance that one of the three closest friends will also be overweight. But here's the good news. If you've got one close friend who loses a significant amount of weight, one of the three closest friends will also lose a significant amount of weight. Our friends impact us whether we want to believe it or not. They, they shape our habits. Now, long before there were any studies done, Solomon wrote these words in Proverbs thirteen twenty. He says, walk with the wise and you'll become what? You'll become what? For a companion of fools suffers what? Okay. If the people you hang out with are angry, if they're gossips, if they're vindictive, if they're manipulative, if they're foul-mouthed, if they do things that dishonor God publicly, why would someone who calls himself a Christ follower hang out with them? And let me give you a newsflash. If that's your friends, I I don't have time to hang out with you and your friends. I'm not saying I'm not going to tell them about Christ. But how many times are you telling them about Christ when you go those places you go? That's just just an excuse. So I pay attention to your friends before I decide if I'm going to allow you to have influence in my life. Because I want to be found faithful. And if you and your friends are not faithful to God, then I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll choose God. I'll choose my family. Here's the problem. It's almost impossible to live the right life with the wrong friends. You need some new friends. And the the way to find those friends, church, we've got Bible studies that are kicking off. We're going to start a men's Bible study. George and I have been talking about this. Hadn't even told anybody about it, but we're going to start a men's Bible study on Sunday mornings before church. And, and we're going to do something different than the men are doing on Tuesday nights so that if guys want to come both, and we're going to do it early enough <laughs> that if you want to go back and get your wife and bring her home and bring her to church, you can do that. Just because we, George and I were talking about this. <clears throat> we all need good friends pointing us in the right direction. Here's what the Bible says about your friends. Do not be misled. Do not go down that wrong path with the wrong friends. Bad company corrupts always corrupts good character. So here's the last question. Do you like the direction your habits are taking you? If you're not sure, then then I want you to play out your habits 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. And I promise you, your bad habits, this is what you'll say. You'll say, I had no idea they would cost me that much. I didn't know it cost me my marriage. I didn't know it cost me my, my reputation. I didn't know I'd lose my house. I didn't know I'd lose these things. The cost is way too high. And that can be you. You can continue going down that path. You can be a Samson. Or you can say, there's something I need to start doing that will get me closer to God. There's something I need to stop doing that's keeping me from getting close to God. And you can start a habit today that 10, 15, 20 years from now, your heavenly Father will say, you are found faithful. You're faithful in small things. I'm going to give you some good things. Based on who do you want to become? What do you need to stop? What do you need to start? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you that somebody said this the other night, that that you are God of a 2,000th chance. 
Help us not to be dumb enough to take those 2,000 chances. Give us wisdom, God. You said, you said all we have to do is ask for wisdom and you'll give it generously and you'll never find fault with us for asking for wisdom from you. So teach us to study your word. Teach us to be under your authority. Teach us to have the right friends. Teach us not to go to the wrong places, to avoid the wrong path, to run away, to die if we must, but we are not going to get on that wrong path and make us a community of people that's constantly sticking out our hand to someone who's fallen and restoring them to fellowship with you and with others. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.